Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew 11, Christ speaks some beautiful words to tired and weary souls. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. What a beautiful thought. Christ will give you rest. How many of us uh, in the world, how many of us also in the, in the church are, feel restless? How many are weary? What would it be like to always be at, at peace, never have a troubled mind? Well, it's not always easy to experience those things in this broken world, but we see something of Christ bringing rest to weary souls in Matthew 12. Pharisees had put great burdens on the people with their extra commandments and laws. And Christ worked to remove this burden from them by explaining the true meaning of the law. And we see many people burdened with the brokenness of life, sickness, and pain. So many people came to Christ with their sickness and Christ healed them all sure many of us would like to have him here to do that for, for us right now as well. This was part of the Lord's ministry when he was on earth. And it was done according to God's design. And we, we see that in our text from Isaiah 42 about the servant of the Lord. And this servant, of course, is primarily our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit foretold who he was what he would do, and how he would bring healing to a broken world. And, and this is something we also celebrate at Christmas time, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. So I've summarized the sermon as follows. Take heart, Christ came into this world as God's humble servant to bring compassion and justice. Well, look, of all, look at first uh, how Christ embodies the true servant of the Lord. Second, how Christ humbly serves the weak. And third, how Christ brings justice to the nations. Now, our, our passage this morning is the first of the well-known servant songs from Isaiah's prophecy. In fact, there are, there are four servant songs. The first one is here in our text. The second is in Isaiah 49. The third in Isaiah 50. And the fourth, also the most famous, is in Isaiah 53, which talks about the sufferings of the servant, how he would be pierced for our transgressions. So there's four servant songs, and who is this servant of the Lord that the Holy Spirit through Isaiah focuses so much attention on? Well, here is, what we must keep in, here is where we must keep in mind some principles for interpreting a prophecy in Scripture. Prophecies often have a double fulfillment. One fulfillment happens close to the time of the prophecy, and the other fulfillment usually happens further in time. Well, this is not the case with every prophetic passage, but you do see this more often, a double fulfillment. You could think of it sort of like a rock skipping across a pond each time the rock hits the water, there's another fulfillment of the prophecy. You have one that's close by, and as it skips along forward, there's another one further away. 
That's probably also what we have with the servant song here in our text. That's because the servant of the Lord can refer, first of all, to Israel. In fact, Isaiah often refers to the nation of Israel as Yahweh's servant. For example, in Isaiah 41, Israel is described in similar language to verse 1 of our text. In verse 1 of our text, the Lord says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom I sold delights. Now, take those words and listen then to how Isaiah 41 describes Israel in a similar way. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. I will strengthen you, I will uphold you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, such similar language to our text. So in this description of God's servant in our text, we can see something of Israel. Or perhaps some of the things that Israel was called to do. What the people of God were called to do. Our text speaks about how the servant will bring justice or judgment. In fact, three times we hear it. He will faithfully bring forth justice, justice to the nations, justice in the land. And you can see something of this in Israel's history. Think about Israel and the nations. The prophets spoke not only to Israel, but also the nations about them. Isaiah called out the sins of Moab, Assyria, and Babylon. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach against its sin. And on the positive side, Solomon, by his wisdom, attracted the Queen of Sheba to the land. And the Queen of Sheba marveled as she saw how justice flourished in Israel under Solomon's reign. And God also called Israel to be compassionate to the weak and the downtrodden. This is something our text speaks about when it when it talks about the bruised reeds and the faintly burning wick. So we see some, uh, in this prophecy something of Israel or what Israel was ideally supposed to be like. As we know, Israel failed so often to live up to this standard. So often they did not bring about the required justice and so often they trampled on the weak. And so this prophecy, it it longs for somebody greater and better to come than just the nation of Israel. That's, of course, what we celebrate at Christmas time. It speaks of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father sent the true servant of the Lord. The Son of God came as the, the true Israel, the true servant of the Lord. The New Testament points out time and again that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this servant, of this prophecy. Take only verse 1 of our text. Here it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. If you were to think for a moment, what do these words, how do they relate to an important event in Jesus' ministry? 
Well, we can hear a strong echo of these words in Jesus' baptism. Right at his baptism, God the Father addressed his son saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You hear an echo of the words in our text. And right after his baptism, God did put his spirit on his son. Just as Isaiah 42 describes of the servant of the Lord. So Christ, as the true servant of the Lord, also was the true Israel. Where Israel failed, Christ prevailed. He would embody the ideal Israel, what Israel was supposed to be. And you see something of this right after his baptism as well. For after his baptism, Christ immediately went out into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40, years, 40 days. Sorry. And the Lord Jesus here is following the same path Israel took. 1 Corinthians 10 states that Israel too was baptized. They were baptized in the Red Sea. And where did they go after that baptism? Into the wilderness, into the desert like Christ. They spent 40 years in the desert, much like Christ spent 40 days there. But as we see, Israel failed in the desert. Instead of serving the Lord so often, they, they failed. What did they do at Mount Sinai? They served the golden calf. But when Christ was in the desert, the, t- the devil tempted him by saying, All the kingdoms of the earth I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. How did Christ respond? Like Israel with the golden calf? No, he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Christ was the true servant of Yahweh. This is why he is also the Savior of the world. Brings us to our next point. So as we've seen Christ is the true servant of the Lord, and there's something wonderful in that for, for us as God's people. As the servant of the Lord, Christ came not only to serve his Father, but also to serve us. He is the true King of kings true Israel, but he is not proud. He's not self-seeking. He came to serve, to serve also us. The Spirit says through Isaiah, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And we might wonder, well, what does this mean? Does it mean he's going to be shy or introverted or maybe a homebody? No, it means that that Christ didn't come into this world to to make much of himself. He wasn't competing in a popularity contest. He didn't come to toot his own horn. He never instructed his disciples to make all kinds of fanfare for himself and say, you know, look at me, I'm the king, look at my miracles, praise me. But he could have. He could have done that, but as a servant of the Lord, he was not seeking his own glory. 
He was seeking the glory of the one who sent him, and he was seeking our good. And that what makes him the true and good king, that's, that's also what contrasts him with the Pharisees, as we could also read about in Matthew 12. What does Christ say about the Pharisees? The Pharisees love to be greeted in the marketplaces. Right? They, they like to be heard in the street. They, they love to pray on the street corners to be seen by men. That's, that's, that's an exact contrast to the words of our text. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And so many of the rulers in our world, too, are about promoting themselves and not serving others. They want to hold on to their power. They all create all kinds of publicity and propaganda to make themselves look great. Not so Christ. He was not after the praise of men. We see that, too, in our reading from Matthew 12. Jesus went out from the Pharisees, says that large crowds followed him, and so many came with their sicknesses, and Jesus healed them all. Imagine that. So many sick people, injured people, healed in an instant. Blind people receiving eyesight. Deaf people suddenly hearing perfectly. Mute people, as the demon-oppressed man in, in Matthew 12, suddenly speaking. What joy for them. And you would think that Christ would want his name plastered all over Israel, every pillar in Jerusalem, come see the miracle man. And yet Matthew 12 says, Christ ordered them not to make him known, thus fulfilling the words of our text. And Christ did not seek praise from, as Christ did not seek praise from men, and men also he had a, a heart for the weak and the poor, as the sick came to him seeking healing, he also fulfilled the words of our text. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Now that, that's a bit of an interesting image. What does it mean? Why are these words here? You know, does it mean that Christ would never blow out a candle or cut down some, some bulrushes perhaps? No, this is a word picture. It, it stands for a certain group of people. A bruised reed or a, a faintly burning wick, it represents the spiritually weak. These images represent the downtrodden, those in despair, perhaps, the poor in heart, those who are troubled by their sins. Someone like the prodigal son on his way home, knowing his sin. Those who are oppressed by others, the disheartened, those feeling crushed by life's troubles. And the bruised reed or, or crushed reed and the smoldering wick, these are, these are powerful images to convey this, this sense. Think of a reed, perhaps a bulrush, something of that kind. If it's broken so that it's falling over, it's, it seems close to death. Does a broken or crushed reed even have the capacity to grow and flourish anymore? Seems good for nothing. 
You might think that the only sensible thing to do is to pull it up by the roots. It's broken. Or maybe if you have a, a flower in your garden, it's it bent over, it's, the stem is nearly snapped, you, you'd think you'd just come by and snip it off, throw it away. Its life is nearly gone. Or think about a smoldering wick. You know, we don't use candles very much anymore, although maybe occasionally you still have a candle at dinner. Maybe you'll do so at Christmas time. But imagine for a moment if you lived in ancient times without electricity. When the sun went down, the night became black. There's no lights to just switch on, light up a room. You would rely on candles or or little oil lamps for light. Imagine walking into a dark room where a single candle had been burning. And when the candle burns bright, it can, can light up the room fairly well. Now the, the candle has run out of wax and all there is left is a, is a smoldering wick, a faint little glimmer of light. And that kind of candle can give you barely any, any light at all. It's, it's too weak. It seems good for nothing. It's out of life. And so you would expect that someone coming to that room would just extinguish that dying candle completely. Maybe you've seen someone after blowing out a candle that there's a little bit of glowing light there yet. There's smoke rising from that wick and they... They just wet their fingers and put it out, extinguish it completely. Scripture uses these images to describe the weak. And maybe you can relate to that image in your own life. Maybe you feel beat down and bruised by life's struggles and sorrows. Maybe you feel like your faith is barely glowing, it's about to go out. Maybe you feel the crushing weight of your guilt because of your sin on your shoulders. Maybe you feel like the darkness will overtake your soul. Maybe you feel like God is just going to cut you off or or snuff you out completely. That's also why we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's compassionate, he's, he's merciful. He takes pity on the poor in spirit, those who have no strength. The Savior looked with compassion on God's people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he did not come to cut off the weak, but to save them who look to him. Remember what he proclaimed in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, he's not a Savior who turns his people away when they call out to him. He doesn't withhold forgiveness to those who seek it repentantly. He does not angrily turn away those who struggle with doubts. He does not give a deaf ear to the oppressed when they call. So come to Him. Come to your Savior. Come to God through Jesus Christ. 
come to God through the blood of Christ, shed for people who look to Him in faith, you will find a compassionate Savior. Come to Him for a grace and help in your time of need. And the Puritan Richard Sibbs, I gave this advice to the bruised reed or the smoldering wick. Think in temptation, Christ was tempted for me according to my present trials. That will be also my graces and comforts. If Christ be so merciful to me so as not to break me, I will not break myself by despair. I will not yield myself to the roaring lion Satan to break me in pieces. See, Christ is a compassionate Savior. Keep coming to Him. As we find the compassion of Christ, let us also take on the same attitude as our Savior. Remember, as God set the Holy Spirit upon Christ, so He has set His Holy Spirit upon us. And so just as Israel was also called to to be the servant of the Lord, to embody these ideals pictured in our text, so also are we, the people of God in the New Testament. We are the true Israel in Christ. And so we too are called to take on these qualities ourselves as a Lord's servant. It means also showing compassion to the weak and the bruised. Those who feel spiritually faint and without life. We must also aim for the same compassion in the church also. In Matthew 11, Christ called out to the weary that he would give them rest. And later in Matthew 12, we hear how Christ would not break off a bruised reed. And in between those two statements, we have stories about the Pharisees. They ruled the people harshly, laying heavy burdens on them. They pressed down the bruised reeds. Take only the example of the man with the withered hand. Jesus healed him by having the man stretch out his arm, and the the Pharisees were indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They plotted how they might destroy him. That was neither just nor compassionate. That's not to be our attitude. See the compassion of Christ, let us likewise do the same to others. Brings us to our last point. Well, there's another strong theme that comes out of this prophecy in Isaiah. The servant of the Lord also brings justice, or judgment as we could translate it. Now three times we hear this theme come out. I put my spirit on him, he will bring justice to the nations. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And then again, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he's established justice in the earth. So three times. There's something we should note right here at the beginning. The emphasis on justice is not meant to contrast with his compassion, as if those things were opposites. Right? When we think of justice, we might be tempted to think that it's cold or heartless, that it's the opposite of compassion. But it doesn't have to be. 
True justice fits with compassion, and there is compassion in Christ's justice. There is freedom in his law. And it's good that our Savior, the servant of the Lord, is concerned with justice. He's the good king. He makes wise rulings, much wiser than even Solomon. That's also why we hear in this text, text, the coastlands, the far distant lands, they wait for his law. They're eagerly waiting for someone to bring them true justice and righteousness. We could expand this because the text literally says that the coastlands wait for his Torah. Now, the word Torah often refers to the law of Moses, and it includes not only bare commandments, but also wise instruction and also promises. And yes, the distant nations also wait for, for Christ's teaching. It's not to say that they, they know who Christ is and are, are waiting for someone to bring them a Bible means that the distant nations are primed to receive this instruction. They can anticipate to hear the beautiful teachings of Christ. And in time, Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will spread his gospel to the ends of the earth as he is doing right now. And when distant nations finally hear the words of our Savior... The Word of God in the Bible. It's then that they will finally begin to flourish. And you see that happen when the Christian faith goes to other parts of the world. Suddenly people hear something that they have never heard before. Something that grips their hearts. Something that delights them in their inner being something they want to hold on to. You often see that with new believers. New believers are often zealous to hear God's Word because they know it's something different than the voices they have heard in their lives so far. They know it's the Word of life. When the gospel takes hold in a country without Christ, then the culture can be transformed. And what would happen if, if Christ's teaching took hold where Sharia law is now enforced? Or in a country where people are suffering under the oppression of a cruel communist regime? Well, they would rejoice. They would find the wonderful blessings of God's word that brings true freedom and life. That's also why Isaiah 42 says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. What's interesting, actually, is that, is that in these words, He will not grow faint or be discouraged, they're the same words used to describe the bruised reed and the faintly glowing wick. Christ will not be crushed. He will not be bruised. He will not be snuffed out. He will fulfill this mission to establish justice in the earth. And so zealous was Jesus to achieve this goal 
that he was willing to go to the cross to bring it about. Right? The cross also is a matter of justice. The crucifixion of Christ is a graphic display of what sin against a holy God justly deserves, also for our sins. And Christ, in order to save us, needed to take that just punishment upon himself. And he set his face, how many times does it say in the Gospels, he set his face towards Jerusalem knowing that he would suffer and die. But he did it willingly. He did it willingly so that we might also might be justly forgiven by God the Father. That doesn't mean that he never struggled with his mission as a servant of the Lord. We see that especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was in agony. He prayed to the Father asking that if it were possible, God might take the cup away from him. We read in Luke 22, and as he was praying, an angel strengthened him. Christ was not snuffed out. He was not crushed. He was strengthened, upheld by the Lord to fulfill his task as a suffering servant of the Lord. And so he could go on all the way to the horror of the cross for our sakes. And because he did that, because he fulfilled that mission, he was enthroned at God's right hand. And there he will never grow, grow weary. He will never grow faint. And he's in heaven. He will bring justice to the nations. His teaching to the ends of the earth. And we here in this church, we have been so privileged to already experience that blessing. And this is something, too, we can rejoice in at Christmas time. Christ, the King of Kings, has brought us his teaching, his instruction, his law, and his law is good. We can rejoice in it. Let us never take it for granted. We're often prone to taking things like the Bible for granted. Sometimes we don't know what we have till it's gone. Let's hold on to it. Let's rejoice in it. We can be thankful that we also live in a country where the laws have been influenced by God's word. Sadly, this seems to be crumbling, but let's continue to spread the truth of God's word in our land also where so many people have not heard the the instruction, the, the wise teaching of Christ. And even if that crumbling continues to happen in our land, we can still look forward in hope. That's because Christ will come again. He will come to establish justice in the earth once more. And that is a good thing. You see, what is is one thing we can really look forward to about the new heavens and the new earth? It's that everyone will obey God's law. And they will do so perfectly. And we will all rejoice in that law. And we'll never even think about breaking one of God's commandments. Imagine that. Imagine living in a world where everyone worshipped God perfectly. 
everyone in this world united in praising God. Imagine living in a world where, where everyone spoke the truth perfectly. Imagine living in a world where everyone sought his or her neighbor's good. Imagine living in a world where everyone was united in, in giving God glory and, and enjoying Him and praising Him. That would be the best world. And that is a world we will enjoy when Christ comes to establish justice in the earth. He will renew us. He will make us perfect. And we will enjoy living in His presence forever. As we celebrate Christmas, let us also look forward to the second coming of Christ, where we will live in glory forever. Amen.